It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday february 17th and you're listening to episode 403 today i'm joined once again by julio hey julio hey jason how's it going it is going well got you uh awesome man Got you in here a little a little early on the schedule, a week earlier than normal. Kick Katarski out of the rotation this time because uh, him and I physically meet. So uh, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna record with Julio this week. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. That's now it's funny because he he's supposedly easier to record, but it's actually harder because you got to drive and right and get together and set up. It's well, well, I understand. Normally, he comes to my house, so it actually is easier for me. <laughs> but uh, but I, I try sometimes to go up to his place to make it a little easier for him because he's busy as well. And sometimes his job brings him this way, so it's not such a big deal. But when it's not doing that, uh, it's kind of a pain for him. So I try to try to be equal or at least as close as possible. Um, yeah. Well, listeners, you'll get him next time, but for now, you've got me. So what's been going on, Jason? Well, um, actually, before we start about that, I just want to say I'm actually excited to have you this week because you brought a topic that we'll talk about a little later that's very timely uh, for what's going on right now. So it it actually serendipitously worked out that it's you this week. Um, Yeah, yeah, and and we didn't plan it, so it's going to be a good one. Yeah, and so so me lately, uh, playing quite a few games uh, of late um, different stuff, working on some different prototypes that have been going pretty well. Uh, kind of have a big design push right now for some submissions that we're attempting to get done. Um, cause I'm trying to get ahead of con season this time. Uh, maybe get some games out there and possibly either starting the process or signed before con season starts. Con season even starts. Uh, we'll see. It's a big goal, but, um, but the thing that's taken my mind up all day today is the Marvel United Kickstarter. Uh, I'm super jazzed about it. (laughs) Since 3 p.m. today, I've been following it constantly. Uh, It's at $420,000. No, sorry. Right now, it's at $380,000. Next stretch goal is $420,000. But it's it's been up for, as of recording right now, a little over six hours. Um, And they've already unlocked seven stretch goals. So, yeah. That's nice. That's nice, and yeah, I saw the I saw the video for it, and it looks interesting. Um, I'm I was surprised with the rewards level. I guess it only has one at a sixty dollar level. So there's the sixty dollar level for the base game, and that will never change. Uh, and you're gonna get a ton of extra stuff with them. They've already unlocked seven miniatures uh, slash you know <laughs> sets for that um, that are free, right? Yeah. I mean, those would be part of the game, um, but they're all Kickstarter exclusives. And then, um, in addition to that, you can pay an extra thirty bucks to get the Infinity War set, um, which I'm pretty stoked yeah. about. That's got like Thanos and his and his baddies that run around with him, and that that's a whole yeah, so separate thing to play. He, here's my problem with that. Now, I like Ultron and everything, but the whole video had you know fighting Ultron and all that. But I mean, I didn't really care for that. I really liked the Thanos part, so I felt like a little duped there. Like, why not just give it? Give me the Infinity Stones timeline and and not the Ultron one. It seems like I have to get this base game with the Ultron, which I don't care much about, to get 
the expansion, which of course it's an expansion for a game that hasn't come out uh, for an extra <laughs> 30 bucks or whatever. Right. So uh, that's a good point. <laughs> it does come with more than Ultron though. So right now the bad guys that it comes with are Ultron, Red Skull, Taskmaster, um, and they just unlocked Bullseye as another villain for the base set. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to unlock some more villains for the base set. Uh, so there, there should be quite a few actually. And you know, it's, it's one of those games where every villain is going to give you a different feel, just like every hero will give you a different feel for play. But no, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, let's be honest, campaigns like this are a cash grab, right? I mean, they're, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I, it's just when you have a ton of things that are Kickstarter exclusives, clearly that's your plan, right? Is that you're trying to get as much money out of that Kickstarter as possible before the game goes to print. Uh, and again, I, I don't have yeah, any hard I, feelings I, towards it. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna back it. I don't really back many games, but it did seem like it's a very uh, simple game. Because one thing that I did appreciate from the video was that it did have some gameplay incorporated with uh, like a little CGI type deal, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of a lot of Kickstarters these days just have like a cryptic video with a you know a announcer voice talking in the background or something and and that's it but this one at least had right. some gameplay and it seemed like it was something very simple that you could play with you know for example you can play with your kids right and, which is my plan both will enjoy really well if i didn't have kids who were into this stuff i probably wouldn't back it um but i, I haven't backed no, a lot I of you probably would have <laughs> i mean i would have wanted to it would have been harder to justify <laughs> But no, I was talking to my wife ahead yeah. of time, and I don't back a ton of stuff on Kickstarter anymore. But for this game, knowing Simon and how they like to like put more stuff out there, I was like, well, I'm gonna just assume that it's gonna be about 200 bucks for everything here, and who knows, it yeah. may end up being more than that. Um, but for now, you know, I was pleased to see that it started only at 90 for everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that that that's cool. Now. On my side, I went to Tamtron Con two weekends ago, so I guess a little awesome. over a week now, and I got to demo Holy Festival of Colors with the people yes. at the convention. Um, I actually that took the initi- looks amazing. Yes, yes, I'm excited to talk a little more about it. So I actually approached Floodgate Games. I took the initiative and say, "Hey, if you send me a." a uh, uh, prototype of the game of the you know the latest prototype i can go and demo the game for you and and just kind of you know talk about the game and all that so so i actually recorded a couple of videos at tantrum con and showing off the game so let me i mean let me just explain it real quick so holy festival of colors is an area control puzzle game where you are trying to spread as much of your color tokens around on the board the thing is that the board is, you know, it's a grid, but is it a th- it is a three-tiered board. So it's actually three boards on st- uh, stacked on top of each other. And the top, the second and third board are translucent in the sense that they're, they're transparent and they have a grid drawing on them. So you actually can see through the third and second board all the way down to the first board. And... In this game specifically, the the way that comes in is that you are trying to spread your color using these broken down Tetramino cards. But the way it works is that you place your tokens, each of them individually, that makes a Tetramino piece. So they're not actually Tetraminos, but, you know, kind of that those shapes. 
and mm-hmm. you place them all, each square is individual from each other. So as you go to higher levels, if you place a ta like your tokens, if they're not supported below, they will fall down to lower levels. And why does that matter? Because at the end of the game, you're going to be scoring mainly one point for each token on the first level, two points for the second level, and three points for the third level. Yep. So having it's not just about fitting those pieces. It's also about making sure that they're supported so you get the most amount of points. Right. Yes, I, and and the the game also has uh, some really interesting little uh, rule cards that you add at the at the start of the game. So it makes every game different in the way it plays. It has some, a little rule, uh, well, I guess two rules that will get gain you extra ways of scoring, and it changes your strategy a lot. There's also the way of you know you can try to get your tokens on other players and. And that can give you points as well because it does have, you know, the game is pretty abstract, but it it, it has a really good uh, uh, theme interaction interaction there. Awesome, yeah, I know. I mean, I played the original version uh, when it was different, you know, like when it was like three different layers, and what seeing it stacked vertically like that now, wow, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that was actually the first. Uh, game that you ever played of mine it was yep. when we first met at unpub 2018 i guess yes um yeah yeah so it's come a long way since then so i'm excited um i the i think the game will be on kickstarter around the second quarter maybe march i'm not sure yet because the festival does happen the around march so they may tie it to that so Very we'll be cool. competing with a lot of other Kickstarters, so <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. Very awesome. Um, yeah, but uh, besides that, I've been just getting, like you, just starting my planning for this year's con season. And that, you know, it, that brings us to our topic, which is planning, budgeting, and... What was the other thing? Uh, sorry, this is good podcasting. Uh, okay. Planning. Mm. Uh, it's convention planning, expenses, and alternatives for designers. Yes, yes. Convention planning, expenses, and alternatives for designers. So the reason why I talked about, I wanted to talk about this is because we are currently obviously in tax season and and. For those of you that work, that's obviously a time where you start, you know, putting right. in your your all, all your expenses throughout the year. And and since I started doing board game design, I I put it as a business, so I always keep track of all my expenses that related to board games. So I I didn't just want to have an overview talk about it. I wanted to talk numbers as well and just use my own numbers as as reference. Um, sure, because. Conventions are expensive. Conventions are um, really expensive. And like, I mean, some, even the badges alone, Gen Con's badge is now $110, $120 bucks if you want to ship yeah. to you, um, which basically you're paying $10 to not stand in a really long line. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, when I used to start, Julio, when I was a young boy and I started going to Gen Con, not a young boy, but I figured out that it was 16 years ago when I started going to Gen Con. Um, Wow. I the badges were sixty bucks for four days. 
That's some wow. inflation there. That's what that is. Well, I mean, double in, in, in 20 years, that's, you know, it's to be expected because the convention has obviously grown a lot in that time. Um, but at the same time, as designers and even as convention goers, it, it is quite an investment in our part to go to these conventions if we're pursuing design. Um, so in, in my case, you all, you all know that I started uh, late 2017 and my first year, it was all out of pocket. I hadn't signed the game yet, so I didn't use it was all out of pocket for me to go to conventions. And for my first year, which I just put as 2018, I went to Proto ATL, which was in May. I went to OnPub, which was in March. I went to Rocket City Game Fest in Alabama, which is a small con. That was in uh, January. I went to Origins in June, Gen Con in, in August, and PAX Unplugged in December. So we're talking about uh seven conventions in a year that's a lot and in that time yeah yeah and in that time i spent let's just start off with uh what you were saying uh badges so let let me so i have my my trusty computer here and okay sorry i should have done this ahead i just gonna (laughs) sum these up real quick and no tips got, in excel yeah so here we go so in so this is in gas mileage because this is one thing that i that i got as well and i just put like a, a as a reference kind of 25 cents per mile just driving just driving at 25 cents per mile i got around 1400 dollars, and that's obviously a little exaggerated because gas mileage does much better than that uh, well, but now, the government, um, though, allows you for your taxes to do 51 cents per mile. Well, look at that. So that would be double. So we're talking about around $3,000. Yeah. But of course, I didn't spend that much. But that's just gas. Right. Just right. to get there. That's that's for the whole year. Now, convention badges, I've got $406 for seven conventions. Yeah, so we're already almost at $2,000, and I haven't even gotten to lodging. And lodging, I've got a total, and this includes Airbnb and hotel. I've got a total of uh, $1,200. That's actually not bad. uh, Yeah, I actually, yeah, and I'll go into that, you know, kind of the tips and tricks, and you can help with that too on, on how to do that. And on food, so I usually put like $30 per day because sometimes I bring my own food for breakfast and usually like in dinner, if you go out for dinner, $30 is spent easily over one day. Uh, I've got $570 uh, on just uh, on food. Makes sense. Yeah. On on all that, let's... uh, We've got a total of about $4,400. So $4,400, do you have that kind of money laying around? I mean, for to get to do this, you got to plan around it and, and budget towards it. And not every, every person has that kind of money to spend just to go on conventions and, and, and do this kind of investment. And that's why I wanted to talk also about the alternatives, because 
One thing that I hear a lot on podcasts is that, oh, if you want to be a designer, you got to go to conventions. You want to, you, you have to pitch your games directly to publishers. Now that's all fine and dandy, but hey, if I don't have that kind of money lying around, it's going to be difficult for me to do that. Right. And it's also, I, it's untrue. You don't have to do that. Does that help? Of course it does. But do you have to? Yeah. No, no, of course not. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And and there's a lot of good alternatives. And of course, you've got other designers that are actually pretty successful in just not really going to many conventions at all. One good example is uh, Steven Aramini. Uh, he's he's a, a up and coming designer for the past two years. And he has got probably last year, he had like four games published and he probably goes to one convention a year. Um, I haven't actually spoken with him face to face, but I've heard him on a couple podcasts and and he's a, a, a very prolific designer. Uh, but I just wanted to to talk through this from your perspective of how do you do you plan around and and budget for conventions? Because, of course, you know, OK, if I if you set a, a certain amount of money for that uh, to go to conventions and plan around it, then you can do it. But what's your, what's your process like? Yeah. So this year is an interesting year for me because things are a bit different. Um, normally um, I would spend probably the most on lodging by far because uh, most conventions I went to, I would go with Rob. So we would be splitting yeah. everything 50, 50. Um, so Gen Con, when you're splitting it 50, 50 is, is ridiculous. I mean, it would be, probably six, 600, 650 bucks to go to Gen Con just yeah. for my room. Um, and Origins is always better. We usually, so with, with Origins, we our trick is that we just always stay a ways out of town um, and then Uber mm -hmm. in, which isn't so bad uh, price-wise. Um, with Gen Con, I feel like doing that is such an inconvenience uh, that it's not worth it. So at Gen Con, I will always find a way to stay downtown. Uh, this year, for instance, I'm staying with with four other people. So it'll be a crowded room with five of us, and I'll be sleeping on the yeah. floor in an air mattress. But it's going to cost me <laughs> 300 bucks for four nights uh, right downtown, right next to the convention center. Um, and I won't have to pay for parking other than, you know, my, my car, I guess I will be paying for parking. Uh, but, I'll you know, I'll do cheap parking somewhere and... Uh, yeah, so it's it's not yeah, man, but so still, bad. You're still, you know, that's still three hundred dollars, and you're staying with five people. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. And it's a, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and 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 just to give a, a I guess a, a point of reference here, because you know, let's say if you had only if, if you had the opportunity to attend maybe two conventions uh, uh, as a designer in a year, which ones would you pick? Okay, so if I had to pick two conventions, which ones would I pick? Yeah. So, okay. So, I'm going to preface this a little bit. Um, uh, absolutely, if I was the one picking conventions for myself, Gen Con would always be one of those conventions because I love Gen Con. As a designer, okay. though, I wouldn't necessarily... Like, as a designer, if you had to pick two conventions... Uh, from the from the word on the street that I hear, right? <laughs> um, I would advise someone to go to Pax Unplugged and Origins. Those uh, yeah. Pax Unplugged I've heard has been great. I'm I'm planning on going this year. Origins has always been a successful one for me because it's easier to meet at. 
Um, so if I was only going to two conventions for designer purposes, those are the two I would pick. What about you? So I, I agree with you. Uh, I think PAX Unplugged and Origins are very similar to each other, though. So if I have to pick between, between those two, when it comes to pitching, I would pick Origins. Especially yeah. because Origins is right at the half of the year where publishers are starting to shift towards next yeah. year's uh, games and starting to look for new games. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I do like to uh, put in a prototyping convention, something like Unpub or Proto-ATL. And, and right now, we actually have a, a new prototyping convention in North Carolina, which is going to be hosted by the game designers of North Carolina. Oh, uh, gosh, you guys are the worst. <laughs> so it's a the name's great. It's called First Look NC, um, and this is uh, gonna be the, on the weekend of March twenty second. So we actually took advantage of Unpub moving to May, and we put in our, our our little prototyping con in in March. Nice. So so so, and so, that brings me to a topic of I of uh, go ahead. I have an opinion about about prototyping cons. So. Um, I think those are great and I, I wish I could go to more of them. Um, the fact of the matter is so, uh, Unpub, right? Unpub is an awesome convention. Um, I don't know that I'll ever go to an Unpub Prime again. And this is why it's expensive. It's always a long ways away from wherever I am. So it's either a really long car drive or a flight, right? Um, hotel is usually reasonable. Um, but uh, this is what stresses me out about Unpub. Like when I go to Unpub, I am there solely to test a game and try and sell games. And if if that doesn't happen, I don't know. I it, it really stresses me out to the point where like I don't like dealing with it because it's so stressful yeah. that I would rather go to a convention where part of the thing is that I'm going to look at stuff and have a good time. Not not that I'm not going to have a good time at Unpub. But the pressure of it all, um, I don't know. It's too much for me. Like, I, I don't enjoy it anymore. And I really felt that the last couple times, which is why I was like, you know what? I'm just I'm just not going to do this anymore. Um, I'm just not going to go to Unpub anymore. So um, now, yeah. what? but the one thing I do want to put out there for that is that the other thing you can do to try and help with that is to go to some small conventions. Like, I go to Grand yes. Con every year. Um, which has become kind of like my prototyping convention, right? Um, for mm-hmm. that, I'm with all my friends. We're all designers. We all want to test stuff and we play our games, we test our games and we have an amazing time. Um, so, and that's super cheap for me and all my friends are going anyways. Um, but the other reason why I didn't do an unpub last year and felt really good about it was because Neil and I did a designer weekend where we spent the whole weekend like working on games and designing together and, um, and you know what? We got a ton done just as much as we would have an Unpub. Um, it cost way less and was not stressful at all. It was just lots of fun and really productive. So I think that yeah, yeah. I would continue to do that instead. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's where the alternatives come in. That's why I, I am actually not going to Unpub either this year because of that same reason. It is really close to Origins. And and it is just not in the budget right now because I wanna I wanna focus on these designer events where you can grow your games in a in a better environment. And I'm not saying that Unpub it doesn't have a great environment because it does. 
It's just that something like Proto ATL and First Look NC, you have the opportunity of of play testing with other designers, and there's no schedule, so it takes off that stress uh, component that you're talking about. People are just sitting and playtesting games, and whenever it's your turn, you take out yours, and and you make your game better that way. And and of course, with if you can find some, if you cannot find something local, then maybe you can start something. It 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 really takes that initiative and that uh to 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 start that that if you need it, and other people can benefit from it. And and the reason why you want to go local, because for example, I went to Tantrum Con. Uh, two weeks ago, and that was an hour and a half from here, so I didn't have to pay for any lodging, and that you know, like I said earlier, that takes out forty percent of what I usually spend at a convention, and and mm-hmm. with uh with local conventions, you of course are supporting something like friendly local game stores and and maybe even local publishers and people that are local get to know designers that are local and there seems to be a better connection there when you know i'm from north carolina and somebody lives 30 minutes from where i live and they're like oh you make this game that's awesome like for example with holy you know people are like oh you live in Asheville? i go to Asheville all the time i mean i i <laughs> let's 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 meet up sometime it's just it, you make a connection just beyond just being the designer of a game that they may have heard of um, and, and we're, I know we're jumping around a bit, but let's go back to the, to the, uh, part of, of hotels and, and the money spent because you touched on some of the things that we can do to lessen that cost. And one of them was, Hey, if you can get multiple people in a hotel room and everybody's comfortable doing that, then right. go for it. I mean, obviously in Gen Con, you've got $300 per night. For four nights, and you, if you can spend that, uh, split that at least four ways, that's that's a good chunk of money that you're saving for right. sure. And another thing that I recommend, of course, as you get to know more people, uh, you can actually even find people that live in Indianapolis and 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 maybe crash at their place and even pay them for for their time. You know, it, it, even paying them like a hundred dollars per night, even if they don't, let's say, they're friends. They they don't uh, uh, tell you don't do it, but hey, you are saving a lot of money by by crashing with them, at least by the oh, food. Yeah. I mean that's um, well, that's well, one one of the things we do is like last year while well, they were supposed to well Neil ended up getting us a a place really cheap with his credits, but um, for Airbnb. But normally, yeah, like Neil or Kelly will just crash at my house the night before Grand Con because then they don't have to pay for a hotel, and then we share an Airbnb together up in Grand Rapids to make it super cheap, you know. So yeah. Yeah, and, and, and there you go. You got another one, Airbnb. Obviously, hotels are, are something that's already been said in the, you know, I, it, worldwide. But Airbnb is something that's been growing for the past, I don't know, 10 years probably. And and you can, for something like Origins, I actually stayed at Airbnbs in Origins for the past two years, I think. Not this last one, but the two before that at Airbnbs. And it was probably like $60 per day. And that's you know yeah. that's much more affordable. And if you can, ha- if with places like um, Columbus and Indianapolis, they have public transportation, and you can take the bus and you spend two dollars one way and two dollars the other way, and and you know that's that beats going you know driving your car and paying twenty five dollars right. for parking uh, each day. 
because uh, I didn't touch on that, but I actually have a line item here for parking. And 2019, I spent $200 in parking. <laughs> that that actually is way less than I mean, like you'll spend 150 bucks at stupid Gen Con parking. It's so expensive. Well, yeah, I I I, I guess I stayed four days, and it was 20 bucks per day. So that's kind of how that happened at Gen Con. So so that's right. just a, a couple of little things that you know. If you do this at every convention, if you're saving ten dollars every time you do it, every day you're doing it. You know, you can save two hundred dollars over the year, which is quite a bit of cash, right? For sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, what else? Um, I guess uh, as a designer, what other alternatives do we have? Because I didn't mention earlier. Let's say you can only you can't even go to one convention, and 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 you know, and that's reasonable because each one of us has our own lives. We have to pay rent or mortgage. We have to eat. We have to pay for gas and all important stuff that are necessary to for our for our lives. And sadly, board gaming isn't necessarily to to live our lives. Some right. people may think otherwise, but but not right. So if you cannot make it to a convention a year, what can you do? Well, and I think of course, like go ahead. I was I think that being active on social media is super important. You know, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, get to know people, find those design communities online. Um, but then also start to try and find design communities around you because uh, you can get the playtesting done around you. Uh, but those communities online are the ones where you're going to meet publishers and different things, figure out how to pitch your games to people. That's important stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, and... And obviously, like I said, going to conventions sometimes is easier because you can just see somebody's face to face and you can just ask them straight up if they would be interested in looking at your game. When you send out emails, there's a lot of people that don't respond back and, and there's that, but there's a lot of people that do. True. And 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 you got to appreciate that and use that to your advantage where you can do pitches online now. I actually did a, a pitch last weekend on Saturday uh, I set up a camera, uh, my mic. I brought a couple of the designers from Game of Thrones, North Carolina, and Nashville, and we pitched the game to the publisher. He wanted to see a full game. He did. He gave some good feedback. He said, "Well, we'll we'll contact you either way." So so we'll see what happens. But again, that is from the comfort of your own home. And from the comfort of the publisher's home, to to be honest, right? I mean, they're also, uh, it's a lot easier for them. It is just making yep. sure that you have those resources available when it comes to people and growing that community around you where you can you can have people around to play tests or, and, and even pitch online. Yep, um, I agree. So as a... I did mention I was going to say some more uh, numbers here. So the ones that I mentioned in 2018, uh, that was 2018, of course. So, so in 2019, lodging, I spent actually less. So 638. So that's where, you know, I'm starting to, to figure out, okay, so, so this is how this is. So I gotta, I gotta save some money here and there because at this point, I'm spending more money on, on prototypes and designing. 
And that's probably a topic for another day, talking more on the numbers of how much money is spent on prototyping as a designer. That's a that's a, a fun one to to hit. But so on lodging that was six hundred and thirty eight dollars. On food, uh, eight hundred and ten. Uh, badges, uh, four hundred and fifty eight. So that didn't change. Um, and let's see, parking. I didn't mention two hundred dollars. So overall, we're we're about the three thousand dollar range. So you know that's twenty five percent less. So I obviously learned from my first experience and tried to to budget myself on on twenty nineteen. And now that we're starting with twenty twenty. Uh, that's, you know, we're in February, so convention season starting up, and I want to make sure that I apply this in a better way. So anything, any last uh, comments before we go to pitch a game? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you just, you got to be creative, folks. You got to be creative and, and do what you can do to make it work. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's important that, you know, people like you and I recognize that, um you know, as, as designers, we're incredibly privileged that we are able to go to conventions, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I was looking at the opportunity that, I mean, the thing that if I couldn't find a roommate, I might have to just book a room by myself for Gen Con and pay for the whole thing. And like, that would have sucked, but like, I could have done it if I had to, you know, and a, a lot of people couldn't do that. Right. You know, a lot of people that splitting the room five ways is still too much. And, um, yeah. And so I just, I, I think it's important that as designers, we, we remember that, but then also, you know, use that to our, to help others, you know? Um, so thinking of those people who aren't, it's not going to be so easy for them to make it. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And builders, if y'all have any, any recommendations as well, any hot tips, you be sure to share them on Twitter, on Facebook, whenever yes. Jason posts the, the podcast, because, uh, a, a lot of us can learn a lot of things because people do things differently. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so now let's uh, pitch a game. Let's well, do I this. guess uh, let's do our workshopping session here. So I'm going to be talking about uh, my game Mace Tower, and this I got to say, Jason, this is probably the game I'm most proud of as a physical component. It, it has been a hard game to pitch, but basically, Mace Tower is a four-sided dice tower game where the dice tower is actually the board as well. And it not only is uh, a four-sided dice tower, it actually works both ways, top and bottom. So when you flip it, it actually works as as a dice tower the same way. So I know I'm throwing you for a loop here, but I spent probably three weeks just thinking about how am I going to do this component, this beast of a component to be able to use dexterity to be able to load this dice tower as part of gameplay. And when you flip it, it the dice fall down and and the gameplay happens that way. And then when you start loading again, you don't have to set it up because it's already set up because it bo- works both ways. So in this game, like I mentioned, you each player has five dice of their color and each round they, they throw dice and at the bottom, there's a little hole on the bottom of the dice tower. And you can either miss or get it in the hole. If you miss, your dice have a, a lower effect than, than if you would have had it in the hole. So after everybody has 
thrown in their dice, there's no real time or anything, it's just whenever everybody does it, then you will start to do the gameplay, which is, I said, is a maze. So each face of the dice tower has a, an individual maze. And what you are doing with your dice, especially the ones that missed initially, is that you can do certain actions depending on where they fell on the box. Because I forgot to say that the, the dice tower is set inside the lower part of the box. So where dice don't bounce around, they just bounce inside the box and it has a printed component inside. Oh, okay. So that it makes has sense. something Yeah, so it has things like arrows and and different rotation components because you manipulate the dice tower as part of gameplay. And why did why does this matter? Because when you move, when you're looking at a maze and since it's the face of the wall of the dice tower, you're looking at it from a vertical perspective. So right and left in a certain direction changes when you rotate or flip this tower. So as a player, you can only affect the pieces that are inside the maze in front of you. So each phase has one of the pieces of each player. So if I'm yellow player, each maze is going to have a yellow piece that I can start to move. But everybody can can affect each piece on the maze face. So basically you're using a die and the level one dice, which are the ones that you missed on the hole, can use one action instead of two, which are the ones that go into the hole. But I'll explain that in a moment. So you can move right or left or rotate and or go up or down. And you're trying to make it to, to the end of a maze through the bottom of the maze. So while you you're doing all this, you're moving your pieces around and everybody's doing the same. And but when you rotate the maze, that obviously changes the maze that you're working on and the pieces that you're working with. So it, it, it is a, a nice little change of pace because somebody can change it up on you and start moving your pieces. Because, for example, if I have a right arrow and my piece can't move right, I might just use that right arrow to move you towards the center of the maze. So, yeah, no, I, I can, I, I can actually visualize this. Okay. Okay. I, I, I was, I, I was uh, scared that that wouldn't be the case, but so why are you doing all that tossing at the start? So once you everybody runs out of their level one dice, then the player that actually finished first will get to flip the maze tower and all the dice that were on the bottom are obviously now on the top and they will fall through the maze tower holes that are initially used to for the dice to go in. So, and now all these dice are in the bottom of the box and they are level two dice. So you get to do two actions per die. And of course, with this uh, level two actions, you can flip the, the tower, you can rotate it and that changes things drastically. Because when you deal with adjacency with players and you flip a tower from your perspective, then it changes the face completely for other players, for the players that are adjacent to you. So it's playing around with that 3D spatial interaction that I like to play with. And in this game, it's basically you're trying to get two of your pieces out of uh, of the maze and you win. Um, obviously, this component is a component that probably takes me... 10 hours to make. <laughs> so wow. I probably made three of them. 
and I have pitched it. Uh, it has been under evaluation, and, and it hasn't been signed. But it, it is a game that it is, it is, I'm very proud of it as a designer that I thought of something like that. And, and hopefully I can get it signed at some point. So I'll have, I have it currently in my portfolio as, as something uh, to show. But are there any questions or, or, or regarding the design? Yeah, so I'm curious about like when you're getting feedback from publishers, what what's the most are you hearing the same reason for why they don't why they don't want it or So for this specific game, the first one is obviously the the constructability of this tower. So I used mainly cardboard, so I used cardboard crafting to do the tower mm-hmm. and it works very well, but over time there's there's wear and tear on the cardboard. So I, I do have like an idea of making it like in plastic, but then what publishers you are very limited to the amount of publishers can work right. that can work in plastic really well. Have you um, um, yeah. have you seen the game Sword Crafters? Yeah. Complexity wise for putting it together, how much more complicated is it than one of their swords? Well, the thing with Sword Crafters is that you start off with the hilt. And the hilt, from what I remember, I think it's a plastic uh, component. You're right, and then and you're then slowly you grow putting your, it. yeah. The sword edge grows from the cardboard, and it's just like a, like a puzzle piece that you're putting together over the gameplay. And this one specifically, I mean, the tower is a component that you use, and it's the main component because it's the board and it's the main interaction in the game, and and it is something that has to be either can be built at the first time you buy the game or it has to be completely built once you buy it. Right. And it would be a pretty expensive component. And one of those things that I've talked about in the past, does the gameplay uh, back up the amount of money it would take to buy this game? Because essentially it was like a 25, 30 minute game, two to four players. Right, uh, it, right. it had that very interesting gameplay and, and, and puzzle. But at this point, is it is it worth it? type deal and and i think it is but of course i'm the designer so i'm a little biased uh but but i that's that's the main feedback that i got for this specific game right yeah okay no that makes sense i mean certainly that is the biggest challenge with a game like this is just making it buildable you know and there are some games that have come out with i think of vikings uh and the mansky caper both those came out with pre-constructed cardboard elements in it, so yeah. there is that is possible. Yeah, and and if builders check out my Twitter account, uh, I have I guess the the holy festival of colors. You see that that's that's a constructed board uh, structure. So so I, I, a lot of my games have yep. something so, something like that, and I actually have another game that has something similar i can't talk about it but but it, it it can be you know if if you have that hook that's good enough and it backs up the constructability then co- then publishers are are willing to take that risk um but in this case it it may have been too much of a factor uh and and not enough gameplay maybe right no and that i mean that certainly is the danger with something like that right is that is the um you know is the hook right is it is it a shtick right or is it like a, a real hook right and that's like that's the thing you know like what is 
is it something that's um yeah you know what i mean right it's the same thing you're saying of like yeah this is a big big thing is it is it val it does it work as a you know uh as a 25 minute game i I totally get where you're coming from yeah yeah and 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 i've said this before but with a a lot of my designs having that 3d component and table presence I, i i've taken to the to the design mindset of if it's integral to the game then i'll keep it if it's not then i I, i'm gonna reconsider it because it's nice to have something that stands out but if it doesn't help the gameplay why do it i mean i agree it looks cool sure i mean and and i got nothing against people that do that but but i I think there's so much more space when you have something that's three-dimensional to work that into your design in a way that makes it seamless and even supports the gameplay in a in a better way Right. Yeah. So if uh, if builders have any comments or concerns, or if they even want to se- uh, see a picture or video of the game in action, because I this it has been months since I shared anything about it, I feel free to to contact me. Cool. Sounds good. So, what's uh, what's uh, what's coming up, Jason? Yeah. Well, I guess it's just a lot of as we talked about in the show, preparing for con season. Um, I'm trying to yep. get quite a few games ready for that. Um, and do, like I said, I really want to get some pre-pitching done to get, uh, ahead of that. Um, just so the builders know, uh, Beavers Be Damned is really close to being put on the Game Crafter, uh, where it will be sold at nice. cost and also on PMP Arcade where it will be printable and downloadable for free. So yeah, we're, cool. uh, working on that, getting really close. We just made some last minute changes to some rules to make the game more fun even. So Yeah pretty happy about that anything else for you awesome yeah uh like i said earlier all my my next convention is gonna be first look and see um in march the weekend of the 22nd after that i'll be at proto atl in may and and we i can talk more about that when i get there but uh last week uh, not last week i guess the last time i was on the podcast i spoke about my game ying yang and I actually have been working on the game, and I made a breakthrough on it, and I'm pretty excited about it. I actually recorded a quick overview video uh, because the game is playing really well now. Oh, so fantastic! I'm pretty excited. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I may be, I'm probably gonna be pitching it to to some of the mass market uh, publishers because it is kind of you know it's an abstract game, but it's just a, such a simple game that is easy to teach it that it may fit in their in, in in their line so we'll see what happens with that excellent all right well i think with that we will call it a day here uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com you can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com you can call us at 770-TEL-BTG you can find us on the twitter at at podcast btg i am at ja slingerland and julio is at Hunasaru, J-U-N-A-Z-A-R-U. Excellent. And uh, find us on Facebook and all the places where good podcasts are hosted. And uh, that is everything for today, folks. So good night. Buenas noches. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770-TEL-BTG. Please don't use the email.